Yo. Welcome to the Autumn Miles Show. Autumn is a best-selling author, popular speaker, and wife who is obsessed with her husband and four crazy kids. She is also the CEO of the Autumn Miles Ministry, as well as a lipstick and lash enthusiast. Autumn's vision is to speak to the culture with bold truth and challenge you to act in raw faith. Here's Autumn Miles. Hey, 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 Dallas, it's your girl, Autumn Miles. I love y'all so much. My guest today is going to be very interesting, okay? Uh, My guest today, his name is Terry Wardle. Did I say that right, Terry? Is it Wardle? How do you pronounce your last name? We don't know how to pronounce it. It's actually Wardle. Wardle. Okay. You, yeah, you were close, but it's Wardle. I was very close. Okay, amazing. Well, um, uh, Terry is on our show today. He is a popular author, dynamic speaker. He leads seminars, retreats to equip pastors, which is so incredibly important. He's authored a ton of books, okay? Um, he is the founding pastor of Risen King Community Church in California. Um, he also, uh, did you start Healing Care? Is is that the ministry that you started, Terry? Yes. Uh, about 20 years ago, I began this ministry called Healing Care, which really focuses on helping broken people experience the healing power of Christ in the unrepaired emotional ruptures of the past. I love that. I love that. So Terry is here with us today, and he has written a book called Some Kind of Crazy. (laughs) And uh, uh, so I want you all in your cars, you know, eating with your mouths full of Chipotle to to welcome Terry to the show. Uh, Terry, welcome to the Autumn Miles Show. It's such an honor to have you on. Um, it's, It's a thrill for me. I'm so grateful to have this time, truly. We... I am so interested in your entire story. I know when you're when we when we met with your publisher, um, your book was pitched to me, and I was like, "Hillbilly upbringing." That is so incredibly interesting. We rarely have people on the show that can say, "I have a hillbilly esque upbringing," and you have written sort of a memoir almost of your life. Um, called Some Kind of Crazy. And I would love, I really want to focus on the healing side of what you do because that that's one of the other things that interests me. But tell me about your upbringing, Terry. Tell me about this hillbilly upbringing that you had. I, I find it fascinating. Well, um, what's interesting is in the very beginning of the book, I tell a story of asking my father um, if anybody ever called us hillbillies. And he laughed and he said, no, but your grandfather beat a man down the steps of McConaughey's store for calling us white trash. So in our area where we grew up, which would have been an Appalachian uh, existence, we were in coal mining areas. Uh, I don't know that we would have referred to ourselves as hillbillies, but I will tell you this. There was a definite culture that was, on the one hand, very hardworking, but I grew up in an environment with crime, violence, uh, real disdain for education, real distrust uh, for religion, and a lot of dysfunctional behavior that was passed on generationally. Mm. It is so, so tell me about your upbringing. I know your story is about bringing healing from some of the things that you um, went through as a child. Um, uh, can you talk to me a little bit about a couple of those uh, circumstances that you maybe had as a child that you didn't realize would impact you later in life? 
Yeah, Adam, my, my great-grandfather had immigrated from uh, England. He was married and actually had a family there. And when he came over here, he actually got involved with one of his relatives, and she became pregnant. And so he just kind of ignored the family in England and raised a new family in these uh, kind of back hollows of uh, southwestern Pennsylvania in the coal fields. Wow. Uh, raised up eight children that were dysfunctional in some ways, and one of those was my grandfather. And my grandfather was a, boy, a law-breaking, um, womanizing man, no doubt. He uh, Back then, they would just say he uh, had wild oats and away with the women, but by today's standard, he would have been a repeated fender mm. and uh, had sexual addictions. And, and so uh, the, the issue of the interweaving of... Uh, both affection and hilarity and crime into my early life left a very interesting impact. And a couple of stories that I think were particularly powerful for me were, I think I was four or five years old when I was with my grandmother at their, their home. Late in the evening, my grandfather came in with his wife beater T-shirt on and smelling like diesel fuel and dirt. And he just looked over and said, Terry, let's go for a ride. I, that was odd. So we got in the car late in the evening as the sun is setting, and he drives out, and next thing I know, he turns onto a two-track out through the woods, and we go way out into this woods, and it gets dark, and all of a sudden, he pulls a revolver out of the glove box, turns to me and says, lay on the floor in the back seat, jumps out and shuts the door. Oh, my goodness. And I'm four or five years old, laying there absolutely in terror for close to an hour as he is gone, and darkness falls, and... Suddenly I hear footsteps, and I don't know who it is, and I'm scared out of my mind, begging for help. And he comes in, and he gets in, and he's all perspiring, and out we go. And then he looks at me and says, now, don't say anything to anyone. Oh, my well, goodness. later on I did to my mother and dad, and they kind of blew it off as though it didn't really happen. And then years later, my dad told me, oh, I knew it was happening. Your grandfather was sneaking up and going through the woods, to have an adulterous relationship with the neighbor lady while her husband was on second shift at the strip mine. Oh my gosh. And, I mean, this was a traumatic event that wow. was never processed that mm. I had to carry. And it was only about a year later that I was again at my grandmother's, and all of a sudden my grandfather starts screaming from the other room, and he comes in, and he falls in front of me, and he had an aneurysm explode in his brain, and he literally just basically dies five feet from me. And once again, the pattern of our family was just scoop Terry up, go on in life, don't explain. And these were two of several very traumatic events in my childhood that led to some significant anxiety and night terrors as a child. And rather than looking at that, in our little culture, you either hid it or you were labeled, and I was often called a nervous child, Mm. Um, or a weenie, mm. and so I had to kind of endure that anxiety into my early teens, and then I found ways to kill the anxiety through somewhat aberrant behavior that I carried on even further, but that and a series of other very traumatic events in my early childhood began later in my life to leak into life in ways that really brought a lot of emotional pain and turmoil. I am so, I love, love, first of all, thank you for writing this book, Terry. I think um, this, it, I, there are, who knows how many thousands of people are listening to the sound of your voice right now that have gone through 
maybe not the exact same thing that you've gone through, but there is trauma in their childhood that they have suppressed. And I feel like this message, and, and if if that is you and you are listening, listener, the name of the book is called Some Kind of Crazy. I want you to go pick it up um, so you can sort of process along with Terry and his life. But um, I feel like this is this is a hole in the Christian conversation that needs to be feel, filled more to confront some of these um, oftentimes severely traumatic things that as children, you don't know how to process. Um, but they, they almost manifest in your life in adulthood. I, I want to go there after this next question, Terry. Um, it's very clear from the notes that your family were not believers. And I'm interested in, um, growing up in the home that you grew up in with the grandfather and, you know, uh, just that sort of lifestyle, the adulterous lifestyle, whatever you were just, um, uh, uh, viewing, how did you find Christ? Well, it's it's kind of an interesting story. Um, my my dad had a disdain for anybody that was religious, and if they came into our home or life, he would often kind of mock them and ask the question, "Are you saved?" Well, an evangelist came to town. It was almost vaudevillian in that uh, he would dress up like Jesus, and he'd have a song leader out there leading songs, and then he would kind of sneak in and he'd look over the balcony or behind a pillar or peek out of a door or peek in a window and people would ooh and ah, and, and, and then he would go back and put on his preaching clothes and comes out and preach. Well, my mother went to this when I was uh, boy, a preteen or an early teenager, and believe it or not, in the midst of this kind of strange show, she responded to the gospel of Christ. Wow. And he came back, and it was a strange combination of kind of Pentecostalism and legalism and the gospel, but it began to impact our home, and, and so we started to attend church. And I went to church uh, a little bit, and there was a youth group that had, obviously, there were girls there, and I got interested in, <laughs> as a teenager, and all of a sudden, uh, David Wilkerson was coming to town with some of the gang members that he had led to the Lord that are written up in the cross and the switchblade. Yes. And they got buses, and they took us out into uh, Pittsburgh. Uh, and I went because, again, there are girls there. And Catherine Coleman, who was a famous Pentecostal evangelist, was sponsoring this. And we go in there, and the place is packed. And after songs I didn't understand and other things, Wilkerson starts preaching this sermon on um, the sword of the Lord is going to come through the land. And it was pretty hellfire and scared me to death. Wow. I mean, so much so I got out of my seat and went outside, and then I got afraid because I realized I don't know how to get home. So I went back in, uh, thought I'd hang out in the restroom, but they had piped the message into the restroom. So I made my way back to my seat, and at the end of the sermon, Wilkerson says, if you don't want to go to hell, come forward and accept Christ. Well, man, I went blazing down there. <laughs> I had had enough hellfire for the last hour. Wow. And I knelt, and you know what happened? In the midst of hearing a sermon about hell, I had an encounter with the love of God. Amen. And he touched me, and I think he put a homing device inside of me. And I went from there with, an, <clears throat> with a definite interest now and touch from God, but I would say the next six or seven years, through college till the end of college, I was pretty much caught with one foot in the world and one foot in the church. And so I wasn't sure whether I was going to be a devil or a disciple, but that was kind of the beginning. And God's love and grace 
just wooed me toward him mm-hmm. until finally, through an encounter I had later on, uh, the Lord really laid possession of my life. And I said, yeah, I, okay, I want this, and I'm going to follow the Lord. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. what also followed me into my following of Christ were all the unresolved emotional wounds of the past so I want that to st- were making life difficult. I want to stop you there. So you found you found Christ, and he um, he sort of ransomed you out of just sort of the lifestyle that you you knew as a child, and and God did some pretty incredible things in your life. I mean, I have in the notes right here. By the time you were forty, you had been uh, a seminary president. And you were a founding pastor of one of the fastest growing churches in the U.S. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, you know, God's grace is breathtaking. (laughs) And uh, as I began to serve him and his, you know, spirit works through us, there are just a lot of people that were responding to the message of the gospel. and, Hmm. and, And as a result, things began to happen. I went on and got graduate degrees. I was invited to become part of a seminary faculty. I had been ended up leading that seminary for a season, then went to California, started this little church with seven people on the back porch, and within about, I don't know, a year, let's say, we had eight or 900 people attending, and all of that was God's grace. <laughs> wow. But at the same time, Adam, this is what's important, mm. I was still wrestling with mm. the anxieties and the emotional turmoil of a lot of unrepaired ruptures that occurred in my past. So God was good. I had many people would have said this is an enviable life mm. because they saw I was writing a few books and able to go speak and had a good church. But deep inside, I still was dealing with some significant insecurity because of these places that had never been healed. And so uh, that's what I want to talk about, because I think um, for the I, I tried I wanted to I want to get us here so we can talk about just sort of your road, what happened, your road to healing. But it was so bad that eventually you went into a psychiatric hospital. Um, Talk to me a little bit about that. Well, I I try to describe it this way, that while while God's hand was on me, uh, I had never let him into the story of my past. Mm. And it was like there was this grand canyon of uh, emotional turmoil and brokenness. And I was navigating around the rim and seeing great success. But at one point, I just fell into that Grand Canyon. And in essence, I began to experience depression and agoraphobia. And local care couldn't help. And I admitted myself to a psychiatric hospital. And it was actually a, a lockdown unit. Wow. And it was, it was traumatic to go there. Um, and even my first days there were very, very difficult uh, because you're separated from family. I was convinced my ministry was done. I had people say, never tell anybody about this because your ministry will be uh, over, and yet I had no choice. And, and being in there helped me understand what was wrong. There was a lot of great talk and understanding and dialogue about what can get you messed up. But I, I came to the point of realizing this, that understanding wasn't enough, that I had been wounded experientially, and I came to the point of saying to God, I think I'm only going to be healed experientially, that understanding what's wrong and even knowing the truth in the left brain in a very cognitive, conceptual way didn't get at the heart of what I was dealing with. And I tell you, I was sitting on my bed early on, maybe in the first two or three days, just weeping and 
scared and away from those that love me. And all of a sudden I had one moment of, if you will, sanity, and I remembered hearing Corey Ten Boom say this, the object of your greatest pain can become the source of your greatest blessing if you offer it to God. Amen. And at that moment, I wasn't even sure I was holding on to God, and I didn't know if he even existed. But I said this, if you are there and if you are holding on to me, then use this. Wow. And the rest is kind of history because for the last you know, couple decades, God has been using a person who really experienced significant brokenness and even rejection because of it to uh, go around and tell people that his healing grace can heal the emotional people of our past. Uh, you just brought tears to my eyes. Terry, I have done hundreds of shows at this point, probably. Right, Dan? I mean, just like we've done a lot of them. And there are more often times than not People And I have a similar story where I said, God, I don't know if you're real, but if you are, you've got to use what I've gone through. And it is those people that write books about healing and grace and the power of the spirit of God. You just immediately uh, just just touched my heart um, because it's just incredible when you what you said, something that I think is so incredibly profound, but so simple at the same time. You realize that you never let God into the story of your past. And how often, I think, do we um, want to push it aside and we don't, we don't want to talk about the things that we've been through, but we have to give him an invitation to come in and do some work and, and um, move forward. Um, what an incredibly profound statement that you just said. I, I feel like there's listeners right now that um, just had an aha moment. Wow, I've never let him in to that situation that I dealt with when I was four years old. I need to do that today. Thank you, Terry, for staying that, saying that. I want to move on. You talk about the term mental time traveler. What does that mean? And um, what, how did that help you? Well, let me take a running start at that. I, I believe... And, and, and many people today in neuroscience would uh, verify this, that when you have a trauma in the past, whether it happened in your childhood or your teen years, and that hasn't been processed and healed, you're not only leaving part of your story in the past, you're leaving part of yourself in the past. Mm. And many times what happens is we begin to have disdain for that part of ourselves. I began to hate the little kid inside of me that was always afraid. Mm. And, 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 Part of what God began to show me is that the place I'm trying to cut off from my story and the part of me that I'm abandoning in the past is not only part of me that God loves, but it's part of me that he wants to redeem and use to his glory. And that's where the term mental time traveler comes in. Endel Tolving, uh, a behavioral scientist, once said that we have the ability to actually move into the unresolved places of our past, not to simply remember them, but to actually re-experience them. Mm. And the negative side of that is that many people that are in conflicts today are really all twisted up, not because of what's happening in today, but because of what they carried from yesterday. But here's the good news of Christ. Our Lord wants to mm. walk into the unresolved places of our past and meet us there. Yeah. and process that pain, and then bring those parts of ourselves that we've abandoned and orphaned back into ourselves so that we experience a new wholeness mm. 
that is so essential to our lives. I, what, how does one do this practically? I feel like um, we get a lot of questions, um, which you probably do. Okay, I hear what you're saying, but give me an example, um, Terry, of how you did that. How did you do that? Well, first, I, I need to set that up that I came home from the, the hospital, very slowly began to re-engage ministry, but this was now such an important journey for me. And I was uh, on a little retreat with my wife up in the mountains in California. The snow was falling. I was sitting beside a Franklin stove, and I began to be frustrated and, and actually frustrated with God. And I was saying, God, I'm memorizing your scripture. I'm reading the word, but something's not changing inside. But I'm going to give it another shot tonight. And I started to read the Bible, and I was reading the scripture of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. <laughs> and there he is, and there's an agony and an emotional response that he's going through and a desire for support from others. And all of a sudden I realized something. In Christ's agony, God didn't give him a scripture. God gave him an experience of his presence. Mm. And, and that just went on as a light bulb in me, and I said, I now understand what's wrong with me, and I understand Scripture, but I need an experience of Christ's presence in this place of the past. Mm. And so I began to look at both neuroscience and, and behavioral science and Scripture, and I began to recognize, and I know it was the Lord, that, that concepts alone don't rewire a person's makeup or their brain. We need to have these emotion-laden experiences, and that's what saved me initially at the Wilkerson rally, but now what I needed was that kind of an experience in these places of the past. And so I looked and said, well, look, Jesus did it with others. He wanted others to be there. I need to find some people to be supportive. I need to be able to tell my story before the Lord. I need to be able to feel the pain before the Lord. And then I need to let the Lord weigh in and give me his word. And uh, if I may, I'll give you a very quick personal experience of that. Um, I, I had an experience with my mother. I wasn't a great student, and mom could be a bit brutal. And um, at one point she mocked me because of my education very se- severely, and she said I had nothing but uh, you know, garbage in my head uh, for a brain, and it really affected me. And even when I was getting academic degrees, that still was there, that story. And one day as I was praying, the Lord took me back to that living room, to that moment, to that time, I could feel the pain and the shame of it. And then all of a sudden, in my mind and in my heart, I could see Christ come in. And he drew me to himself, and he held me. Mm. And he said, I'm sorry that that happened to you. And then he began to speak his truth about who I was and about my mind and about what I could offer. And so I traded that toxic memory for a transformational encounter with Christ. And out of that, I began to developed this modality and to write, and I wrote a numerous a series of books on how we can be positioned before the Lord to do this. And frankly, over the last 20 years, I've probably trained over 8,000 pastors, caregivers, psychiatrists, psychologists, wow. physicians in ways to position the broken, and that's at the heart of healing care. Mm. Um, and that's one of the reasons I was encouraged to even write this memoir, because I was told that you know, if people can read your story, mm. they may be willing to allow Christ to touch them in their story mm. and begin to reach out for the healing presence of Jesus in their own toxic past. I wish I had another three shows to do with you. 
I just feel like this is such a needed um, conversation. Those of you that are listening today, the name of the book is called Some Kind of Crazy. And um, uh, the author, which I've been speaking to me to today, Terry Wardle. Did I get that right again? <laughs> I'm so it's enthr- close. It's okay. Wardle. Okay. I'm, Wardle. Okay. I'm so enthralled in what you're saying. I'm messing up your, your name. Um, those of you that are listening, I, I, I feel like this is a right now book. Um, I, I want you to go pick it up. If you've had a traumatic childhood, past, whatever, and you can honestly say in your car, today or wherever you are. Maybe you're cleaning your toilet. I don't know what you're doing. Um, I have not dealt with it. Maybe some of the things that you are dealing with right now, anger, frustration, um, depression, whatever that is, that that might be um, stemming from these unresolved issues in your life. Please go get the book. Terry, I honestly cannot tell you what uh, what an honor it is for you to be on the show today. Thank you so much for just lending your voice um, <clears throat> to this situation, these situations, and just to trauma and healing from them. Thank you very much. I'm I'm so grateful to be here. And you know, the bottom line is this: God loves to meet meet the broken, and uh, I think His arms are outreached to us all right now. And and so, thank you for even allowing this. Amen. Amen. I agree with you a thousand percent. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening. You can catch me right back here tomorrow on the Autumn Miles Show. The Autumn Miles Show is listener supported and your donation to keep her on the air is much appreciated. To make a donation, visit autumnmiles.com. And if you make a donation of $100 or more, you'll receive an autographed copy of her book of the month. This program is underwritten by Mary Maids of Fort Worth. Your future starts now. Thanks for listening and join us next time for the Autumn Miles Show on the Word 100.7 FM.